Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Be Dratty. Just like the greatest golf architects, Be Dratty is all about the meticulous attention to detail. Every product is designed with intention, just like the Chadwick Gingham button-down shirt. I just picked up one of these, and it is a game changer. It has quickly become one of my favorites. I love a little bit of a uh, off-course style, post-round style that uh, they have uh, created at Beedratty. The fabric is wonderful. It's got that snappy feel and a spread collar that has built-in memory wire collar stay. So you're not going to get a sloppy collar, which nobody wants a sloppy collar. Uh, why hasn't anybody else thought of that? That's what I wonder. Like, why aren't there more conversations about sloppy collar? And, of course, is made using many of the techniques that made their polos so popular and obviously easy to dress up or dress down. Today's episode, I am joined by raining, longest raining, you know, now uh, almost two years raining, U.S. Mid-Am champ, Lucas Michel. Uh, Lucas has been on a uh, grand golf tour of America since he came back over for the USAM and US Open. He's been working with uh, Mike DeVries on a restoration renovation of Bloomfield Hills in Michigan also. So we talk about his master's prep as well as what he's been up to the last few months and a lot of the great golf courses he's played. So Lucas is somebody that I'm uh, pulling for next week and uh, hopefully you guys all become fans of his. Without further ado, here is Lucas Michelle, and of course, if you missed our first conversation, we talked uh, after his U.S. Mid-Am win, so you can check that out from a, a, a little over a year ago now. One quick note also, sorry, I said without further ado already, but one other quick note, we will have extensive master's coverage on the website, on the podcast. Uh, this is the first of many episodes uh, coming as well as uh, newsletters and articles on the site. So the easiest way to stay up to date is to sign up for our newsletter. Um, Master's Week, it will be a daily newsletter. Go to the website, thefriedegg.com. There's a bar right there that sign up for our free email newsletter. Just enter your email there. It'll get you locked in and you won't miss anything that we put out this week. Will Knights does an awesome job with the newsletter. You know, Garrett, I, and Will will be pumping out articles and uh, fresh stuff all week long. So sign up for the newsletter at thefriedegg.com. And thank you for listening to the podcast. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Thirteen. Is that that's a really good short four, isn't it? With the creek on yeah. the left. Yeah. Yeah. We saw him there and I said, like, you've come like that was the only time we saw him. I was like, Oh, you've come at the right time. Like this is a great hole and we're talking about that. But um Did he roll up with yeah. his cart without a top? His convertible uh, cart. No, I think he was using a proper cart at that point. Oh. But um no, he was a good guy. We actually went and checked out Wake Forest's little facility as well out the back so he took us through the little fence i don't know if you've been through yeah there. yeah there's like a little back way through the fence and that and that's pretty cool setup over there too but i know it was a good day i've had a really good trip like overall 
You missed out sure on we'll college golf. Oh, I know. I'm I'm completely missed out. I thought about coming over for it, but it was never really. It's hard from Australia. No one, no one really. Uh, no, not many Aussies go unless you're like really good. Yeah, I'm trying no to think. There, yeah, it's always because you see all like the random guys. I always like laugh about like seeing like somebody from Norway playing golf, college golf at Texas Tech in mm-hmm. Lubbock, Texas, and mm-hmm. I'm like. God, you know, this goes from Norway to Lubbock, Texas. It's got to be like the most uh, ultimate culture shock. But Australians, you guys just turn pro. Yeah, we've got we've got pretty good like high performance programs. And for a while, I think in like the late 90s, there was a lot of kids from Australia going to college. And then Australia realized that they should probably do something to try and like match the college system. So they started like this Australian Institute of Sport and then all the states in Australia created these sporting institutes and with like scholarships of their own. And that kind of attracted people away from America. So mm-hmm. that's what they, I don't know. I think the college system is really good. I think the comp- competition, the level of competition, you can't beat it. Mm-hmm. Whether the coaching and that side of things actually develops the players as good is be questionable but um if you want to just play against the best players in the world in that asian college golf's the way to do it yeah um what do you think of old town oh yeah it's it's awesome i i'd been um so i mean it's been a pretty cool trip i've been to like everywhere but um i liked it probably every bit as much as pinehurst number two i thought it was because Pinus number two is like a funny one. Like I really don't know how I feel about Pinehurst number two. I don't know where it sits for me because the land's good, but not great. And it's obviously sand and, and all that, but and the green complexes are interesting, but there's not much, not that much variety in them because they're all kind of crowned and, and then it's it's really hard, obviously. I don't know. I just I'm I like it as a golf course, but I'm I'm not sure if it's as good as it's made out to be. I don't know. That's just how that's just like my little impression of it. Like Old Town Club was was awesome. I mean, it's such a more undulating, varied kind of property with creeks and um Lots of interesting natural features running through it. And on top of that, it's a really good routing that uses the land really well. It's just like if I was comparing that to Pinehurst, I just felt like there was more to offer at Old Town Club than Pinehurst. But, I mean. It's interesting. I, I always think of Pinehurst number two as like a sum of all parts golf course. Like there's no, there's no weaknesses. Like, and the stretch of, I think one of the things that gets lost is like that stretch of like three through six at Pinehurst number two yeah. is really good, but it comes that early. Is. Right. And that's, and that's probably where the land is best. If mm-hmm. you're probably going to talk about like where the land movement's best and using the natural features and, and all of that. So yeah, for sure. That's, that's where that course probably pops and you're right. It's early in the round. So you probably come away a little, maybe a little 
kind of forgetful of how good those early holes are. But obviously, like, 16, 17, or 15, 16, 17, and 18 are great as well, so... Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, like that's like one of the things where I always like think about with like really great golf courses, mm-hmm. like what's the worst hole there, mm-hmm. and then it at Pinehurst number two, it's really hard to pick the worst hole. Yeah, I think if but I was the highs might not be as high. Yeah, like there's no real weak holes. I think there's what are, it's it's is it eleven and twelve mm-hmm. that are like kind of. They're a little disconnected from the routing. Like all the other holes are kind of like in amongst each other. And then those two are kind of like an extra hole, holes width away from the other holes. And they kind of just sort of sit out there on their own. You kind of go out, back. They're sort of the same distance roughly and a lot of similar features. They're probably the only two that kind of like maybe kind of blend into one in my mind, but they're still really good holes in their own right. They're just kind of a little disconnected from the other yeah, and they're, they're pretty flat, that part yeah. of the land. It's like, I, I know, in that part of the, like, you know, I haven't been there a bunch of times. Like, you can kind of lose track of, like, what hole is that? Like, just like what yeah. you did. Like, I've had that same moment in my, it's like, is that 11, mm. that 12? Like, it's, I I completely get how you feel about yeah. Pinehurst number two. I, I really like the golf course, but that's where, mm. like, memorability, I think, has, yeah. it, you know, but... It's really good when you look at everything. But Old Town, I agree, spectacular. Yeah. I, the neat thing I think about Old Town is, and, the, and Garrett asked, we did a podcast on Old Town, and Garrett asked me this question. I'm curious your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's, like, what would you do to make Old Town better? Um, there's probably not much. There's, It's pretty severe land. Like, it's pretty... Severe land, so I think they've pretty much got as much out of it as as they could. There's probably a couple tee shots where you feel like it's maybe a, a touch awkward, but like the intimacy of the routing and how well it does use the land, like you're always going to have like a couple shots, given how severe it is. I think you're always going to have a couple shots that just feel a little like they kind of got stuck with this little corner of the property and they had to um, had to use that on a tee shot. I think I'm trying to remember, like, I think, um, what is it like? Uh, four. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Four a little bit. There's a couple of those like semi blind ones where, or even like nine to an extent, mm-hmm. like it kind of, it's a little too severe, the side slope and everything kind of runs into the, to the right. And then you've got a few maybe trees that are in your way on the right, just like tiny little stuff, but it's not, I mean, it, it uses the land as good as anywhere. See, that's what I kind of came. It's like if you went out there and you're like, okay, like almost every course in America, I feel like you can go out and you can be like, you know what? You're at like 80% of what you could be, you know, and, and that place and a lot of it is credit to Dunlop White, uh, who's out there, the yeah. Greens chair and, and then Bill Core. That place, that place is maxed out pretty much. And yeah. there's... It deserves so much praise because it's actually a golf club that has realized, that fully realized their golf courses, you know, capabilities yeah. and what it yeah. is. It is. It like there's hardly a tree limb that you'd trim or, um, you know, a little slope that you might fix up. Like it's yeah, as good as it gets for what's there. It's it's awesome. I had uh, Colin Sheenan on, who's the coach of Yale, and 
mm-hmm. one of the founders of the outpost he he thought it was so similar to augusta and i'm curious mm-hmm. you're, you're obviously getting ready to play the masters yeah. next week um, yeah and i'm assuming you've been out there a couple times yeah um yeah. how do you how would you compare old town and augusta we actually spoke about it today i was chatting to will as soon as i got a couple holes in i was like well this is perfect preparation because the greens were rolling at like 12 they got heaps of slope on them they're bent grass which is unusual for this area um and yeah there's a lot of sloping lies in the fairways and i mean it really is like perfect preparation i, I wish i'd had a few extra days i probably would have um bunkered down here and you know <laughs> try to play it a few more times but um yeah, I, I think there's not too many courses that would have been better preparation than, than Old Town. You know, Augusta probably, it it's not, Augusta is like a pretty wide golf course, but um, Old Town's probably got a little bit more forgiveness off the tee. Uh, and then it's obviously, Augusta's probably a touch longer, but I mean, in terms of prep, it's pretty damn close to the ideal place to be practicing. Um, I'd say the greens at Old Town probably, they're probably more canted than Augusta's maybe. Like Augusta's have a lot, of, a lot of internal movement and I'm not sure if Old Towns have as much, but like that's tiny. Like the, the, they've still got heaps of, heaps of slope on the greens at, at both courses and yeah, it couldn't have been a better place to play around a golf today. Yeah, I imagine with the with Augusta before the tree planting stuff mm. and certain holes where, you know, like one, I think one of the neat things with Old Town is you hit a ball, you say you hit a drive and you just catch it a little on the toe and you get a little draw spin and it's five yards left of where you want to hit it. Mm-hmm. It catches mm-hmm. a slope out there and just shoots it. Mm-hmm. And it'll roll 35 yards further yeah. away from where you want it to be. And I yeah. imagine that is a lot of the features that, Augusta used to play like in the nineties or, or even earlier yeah. than that, where, you know, you just miss and it just, it shoots it. And, it, and Augusta still has a lot of that in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for sure. I think old town probably is the course Augusta should probably play and look a bit more like, um, you know, obviously Augusta hosts probably the most important golf tournament in the world. Um, and part of that is probably, challenging the best players in the world but um even if the aesthetic could just be changed a little bit more to look a bit more like old towns that would probably be a good thing for golf but um yeah it's it's tough because augusta does a pretty damn good job at what they're doing and you wouldn't want to change too much yeah yeah it's it's hard it's always hard it's you're nitpicking you know with a Mm. lot of stuff but uh you've you've got one of the more unique um preparations for a major championship season of a of an amateur obviously you're uh you're stuck in australia yeah and now now you're kind of stuck here um but you know you took uh you've been working on a a restoration renovation project with uh mike devries up in bloomfield hills country club uh talk a little bit about that experience and how how did you how did that all get set up? I'm just yeah. I'll start probably. I mean, last time we chatted was September last year, just after I'd won. And at the time, I'd been chatting to Mike Clayton about helping him out with some architecture stuff because it's something that I've always been interested in. And 
I had like a little bit of technical background, like I studied an engineering degree, but it wasn't that relatable, but at least it kind of was something to kind of give me some sort of like knowledge in terms of like drawing up plans and engineering drawings and that sort of stuff. Um, but yes, yeah, so Mike, Mike needed a little bit of help from that department. And then, so we throughout like early 2020, we like went to a couple of courses, looked, looked at a few things, but very minor stuff. And then COVID happened. Um, I actually went over the States, um, went to Augusta, actually played prepped at Augusta. And then that was like March 15. So that was when everything went down. And so I ended up coming back home. I, I had to quarantine for two weeks and then I got locked down completely. So I couldn't touch a club for like, it was a total of about, well, I could touch a club, but I couldn't play golf for, it was like eight or nine weeks. So I was just hitting balls in a net in my backyard for like eight You had weeks. like a home, I remember the Instagrams, you had like yeah. a home gym set up in your front yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had like, it was like the most ghetto looking setup because I, I rent a house from Metropolitan Golf Club where I'm a member and it's in a, a reasonable area, but like I get a really good deal on the rent. So it's like a pretty, it's a, like a little bit run down the house and there's like a lot of like, from the previous owner, there's like a lot of like bricks and like plumbing parts and all this other stuff in the backyard. So I, with my housemate, who's the assistant pro at the club, we like made this makeshift gym. And then we had like this net set up that was like, I mean, it's a miracle that balls didn't go flying through the net into the neighbors and, and all that. But um, I had a track man there, so I could actually do some pretty decent practice. That's, on the that's great. You got a net that you're not sure, a shoddy net that you're not sure could yeah. keep the balls in, but you got a $30,000 track yeah. man. And, then, and, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, and then the, 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 con- the contrast between my gym setup and then like Rory McIlroy in his like home gym in Jupiter, I don't know where he lives where he's just like working out on his Peloton and then he's got his like $100,000 gym set up. It was pretty funny because we we're both prepping for effectively the same tournament. But um, yeah, so it was interesting. I didn't get to play much golf for 10 weeks or so. And and then golf opened up and I got to play a little bit, but there was no tournaments. And then in August, I sort of USAM was sort of touch and go whether it was going to go ahead and um it ended up that it would go ahead. So I came over for that. But um, prior to that, I'd spoke to Mike Clayton and and obviously he's now in partnership with Mike DeVries um, and Frank Pont in that, in CDP golf, uh, Clayton DeVries Pont. So I kind of, it worked out really well timing wise because um, Mike DeVries was starting a project at Bloomfield Hills Country Club in uh, near Detroit, uh, August one. And I was heading to the States August 6th to go to the Bandon, um, USAM at Bandon. And then straight after Bandon, I would have like five weeks between that and um, the US Open. So I ended up heading to Bloomfield Hills. I didn't really, I don't really, at the time, I didn't know anything that detailed about golf course construction or growing or anything like that. So it was a good opportunity for me to learn a lot more in that department. So I spent four weeks at that point with Mike, um, just learning some hands-on uh, golf course construction, design and construction, like um, basically everything. I was in, hopping in bunkers, digging, you know, digging, digging bunkers, bats, edging edging lips and, you know, filling them with sand, helping fill them with sand, 
with the crew from Lavar Golf Renovations, which is one of the big contractors. So, but it was also fascinating. Like I, I, I do that, but it was fascinating just watch um, watching Mike operate a bulldozer as well. I mean, there's probably not too many people in the industry that have as many hours on a bulldozer as Mike DeVries. So watching him like shell out bunkers and then, um, and then like the crew from Labar coming in and, you know, Mike could sort of mark out where he wanted the edge. And then the guy that they had from Labar was just a genius on an excavator and he would just, you know, finish it up to exactly how Mike wanted it. It was, it was pretty cool to watch. Um, and I got to hop in a bulldozer. I probably only spent a, a few hours overall on the whole, whole trip because it was, it was a pretty expedited sort of project they were trying to get. Yeah, it seemed like it holes. came together really quick. Yeah, it was like getting, they were basically, it was every single bunker on the course rebuilt. Um, I think they added, overall the bunker numbers stayed about the same. They might have added a couple extras, but overall it stayed about the same. But it was effectively like 70 new bunkers. Um, There was green expansions on most greens, if not all of them. Um, And then like sort of expansions of short grass areas as well around them. And then there was three brand new greens. So they redid uh, a par three. They converted um, two par fours into a par three and a long par four because that was like the existing or the original um, layout had a three and a four in that area. So they, they kind of restored that. And then they rebuilt another par three green that was kind of sort of crammed in near the clubhouse. So um it was a lot of work. Um, I think they probably they, so it was started on August one, and they they would they were scheduled to finish October thirty f- first, uh, but I think it might have got pushed back a week or so. But it basically, basically, it's just finished. So it was all done in um, what's that September October, three months. Three months, yeah. So it was pretty. Yeah, it was a pretty fast, expedited sort of project. But I mean, so I spent four weeks at the initial stage between. Um, USM and US Open and then I went away, played US Open and then I went back for another three weeks or so and kind of watched it almost go to completion. Um, so it was really cool to see it all unfold and look at how like someone like Mike sort of project manages it with um, the construction, uh, the contractor and, and all that sort of stuff. It was really interesting. What would you, as somebody that hadn't spent time on a project site, like what was the thing that shocked you the most? Was there anything that you were like, whoa, I didn't realize? I think this is probably unique to Mark DeVries, but I was stunned at how, how much time he spent on site. Hmm. Like I think he's probably a little bit unique in the industry. Like everyone talks about, you know, like the new new age golf course architects, sort of the design and builders, and they they spend a lot more time on site but Mike DeVries legitimately spends 7am till 7pm on site six days a week and if they're running behind or they get a bad weather day he'll be there on Sunday as well for you know another eight hours or so so he legitimately spends almost every waking hour on a golf course in a in a bulldozer 80% of the time um it was pretty crazy but so that was probably the most surprising thing. I don't think that's specific to golf course construction or like in general, but that was like a very interesting thing I, I saw about how Mike DeVries works, which was, I mean, amazing. Like I've never seen anyone who 
who would, you know, I can't imagine anyone else does it like that. Um, it's, it's, yeah, truly really impressive. Yeah, I, I always find it amazing. You touched on it earlier. It's like the excavator, the guys, you know, a shaper mm -hmm. working on an excavator is like the precision and how, like, you know, how minute their cuts can be on those bunker yeah. edges and then they do the they pat them down it, it yeah. is just it's unbelievable to, to see them work with that uh you know the bucket of the of the yeah. excavator and how they they use like all our all parts of it to get the edge exactly how they want it and... yeah it's like um so the guy they had mike basically specifically asked for this guy sammy because he'd worked with him before he's one of the labar guys and He's, it's not like he's like, he doesn't even play golf. He doesn't know golf really, but he's done, he's built a lot of bunkers. So he kind of knows what they need to look like. And Mike could just say, you know, here's the edge. I want it kind of like this deep, whatever. And Sammy would just come in and just, it's like an extension of his arm. He's literally just yeah. like a guy, just like, like a little T-Rex arm, just like scraping away everything, patting it down you know, scraping it off to the side and then scooping it up and any excess materials just putting in a dumper to be driven away to a dump site. So it was like, it was literally like he had his arm just, just scaled up by like a hundred and he was just out there just digging away and making this perfectly shaped bunker. It was awesome to watch. It's, they, they're almost more precise than me with an arm. Like if I went to the, the beach and tried to build something like what yeah. they build, I wouldn't be as good as they are in like not always great soil. No, and like exactly. It's just unbelievable to me. They're operating yeah. a heavy piece of machinery better than I could, you know, operate my hands yeah. on a sandy beach. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, those guys are so good. That um, so you saw a ton of stuff. I, it, it, did you see a bunch of stuff in Michigan while you were there? Yeah, I went up. Um, it was interesting. I went to Crystal Downs with Mike. Um, he's a he's a member there, but also he's. I mean, he's he worked in the bag room from the age of fourteen, and then he worked on the golf course yeah. and seventeen to like through college until he's like twenty four, and then and then he got the job at High uh, High Point with Tom, um, sort of helping out there so i mean he he pretty much went from yeah like growing up at crystal downs to then becoming a member there and now being a golf course architect so i walked around the course twice with him um at crystal downs which was just incredible like there's not too many people better that you'd want walking you around um crystal downs um you know him and tom doke are probably two guys that have a pretty good understanding of that golf course and um you could argue that Mike's got even more experience at that golf course than Tom, which is pretty incredible. Um, and then uh, Kingsley Club, we, we went up there, played there, which was in, like another awesome golf course. You could see how much Crystal Downs sort of influenced his design there at Kingsley because they're on very quite similar plots of land in a similar area with similar vegetation and that. So yeah, I, that's, I see so much Maxwell and Mike's stuff. Like, and yeah. like even old town, you, yeah. I see a lot of like old, you know, and obviously because of crystal downs and, you know, yeah. but like just the way he built greens with the, you know, yeah. the simplistic, you know, he kind of muffins and, and, uh, yeah. and, and rolls in them. Yeah. I've only, I mean, I, it's kind of sad that the only, um, DeVries course I've played is, is Kingsley. I haven't been down to Cape Wickham in Australia, which I need to see and, we didn't get the chance to go up to Marquette um, Grey Walls, but um, yeah, Kingsley's awesome. Um, we also went to Belvedere, 
yeah. up in Charlevoix. That's a cool was, little spot, right? Yeah, super cool. We love that. I, that was that place is awesome. Um, That's and like then, a perfect um, golf club. The like, yeah. little clubhouse. It's like semi-private sort of deal. Like anyone can kind of get on there. It's not that expensive. It's awesome little little course. Actually, it's actually not even that little of a golf course. It's it's quite a good test. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the greens out there are really neat too. I, I yeah. you know like it's funny because I feel like Willie Watson gets uh, characterized by Olympic Club, but you go out there and it's like God, mm. this place has so much character and yeah. and like it's yeah, got think, a little spunk. Yeah, they've expanded out things. I think it's Bruce Hepner that's done a lot of the work there. Um, so things are like Mike said, like it was much improved since he was last there. So it was cool to see it. It was it was really good. Um, and then down sort of nearer Detroit, uh, we went to, we kind of saw a lot actually near Detroit. We'd kind of go every Sunday when he had the day off, he'd take me out to somewhere new. So, um, like Meadowbrook, which is really cool, really funky. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's wild. I I like, you know, Andy Staples who did that. I always say like, you know what? He didn't chicken out at all. No, it's crazy. Mike couldn't believe it. He was like, how did he get this through the membership? Like he was I like, know, that's what I'm amazed the about. Greatest sell of all time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's that place is so cool. And then like Franklin Hills, which is um, Donald Ross, which coincidentally was like 400 yards from where I was staying. Like it was mm-hmm. legitimately like just around the corner, which was cool. I went out there with the superintendent who took me around and that was really fun. He's a good dude, Brian. He's super. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, he's 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 awesome. So that was good to see. Uh, Indian Wood, which probably has as much potential as anywhere. That uh, place, place drives me insane. Yeah, the place is so cool. If I could just spend a little bit of money to expand out some greens there and just yeah, some mowing line stuff. But other yeah. other than that, it's it's still awesome to 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 see. Yeah, um, that land it it reminded me of, like of Shinnecock, the land. Out yeah. There. Yeah, I've not been to Shinnecock, but I mean, it's incredible. Like sandy rolling undulation looked like it was it was so cool. I um, yeah, I put that on like the all potential list. Like I would if if you gave somebody like Mike or Tom or you know hmm. the ability to do greens and greens and yeah. bunkers there and oh. fix the mowing lines. Oh my god! Because like, yeah. the greens in the surrounds are kind of repetitive out there, but God, that that yeah. place could be unbelievable. Yeah, it's really cool um what else orchard lake we went up to which was really cool as well um and i played detroit golf club as well when i was there so i got a pretty good look at sort of golf in michigan uh when i was when i was there which was really cool because i didn't realize how good of a golfing city detroit detroit is and then how good of a golfing state i didn't get up to like arcadia bluffs or anywhere like that but or um the loop you know forest um the loop but um, yeah, up there, but I, I got a pretty good look at some of the old school stuff mainly. And then a few of like, say like Mike's stuff at, at Crystal down uh, at Kingsley club, which was, was cool. What, uh, and then you did, you did a big Boston trip too. And Philly, man, you were all yeah. over the place. You, you've been yeah. living the dream. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, it was, it's been a really good trip. I, I'd never expected to play this much golf when, when I was here, but um yeah at 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 the open i kind of could have gone to probably played some golf on long island after the u.s open um but my caddy will davenport has spent the last two two and a half years in philadelphia 
he was studying, um, he was doing his MBA up at Wharton. And so he he's a really good mid-am player and had a bunch of contacts in Philly. So we, we lined up a really good trip um, out in Philadelphia. So um, we played, I think the first course we played was Rolling Green, which is awesome. Um, That's kind of reminiscent of uh, Old Town too with the land. Yeah. Uh, similar. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Rolling Green was really cool. Um, where do we go next? We went to old, uh, Stonewall, Stonewall Old, which was really cool as well. Love that 18th hole. So cool. I, I remember reading about it actually in the um, getting to 18 book about how Tom had like rerouted that to be right next to the clubhouse, which is cool. Um, uh, Philly Cricket, which is awesome. I'd been and I'd played the um, the Militia Hill course there a couple of years ago, but they had a tournament on the um, the Wissahickon. So Hicken. I got to play the Wissahickon this time, which was awesome. Um, we got a joke with some buddies that, that those courses, if you told them, like they sound like they're made up courses, like Wissahickon, Militia Hill. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like a ridiculous name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but awesome yeah. spot. Oh, it's it's awesome, yeah. And then we went to we played Pine Valley and Marion on the weekend, which was like topped off the trip. We also played actually. I forgot we played Hidden Creek as well, uh-huh. which is Crenshaw down there, kind of more near Jersey Shore kind of area. And that's that's awesome too. Like really kind of subtle, um, doesn't try to you know be tr- try and do too much. It's kind of like lots of ground uh, greens on the ground and kind of yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, but yeah. Pine Valley and Marion to finish the week was pretty nice as well. So um, it was my second time playing Pine Valley. Um, I played it a couple of years ago, but uh, we got a nice day for it. And I mean, golf doesn't get any better than Pine Valley. Triple lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk about the the Open. How, how was that experience? Obviously playing first major championship for you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. Like the course was set up really tough. The toughest part for me, and I think it probably was all the amateurs as well, was the amateurs didn't really have a good schedule through summer. Like there wasn't really a lot of events to lead into the open with. So in a way it was like I think everyone, all the amateurs kind of came in a little a little rusty out of out of kind of practice. Um, you know, as much as you, you can hit balls and beat balls at your home track, there's nothing quite like playing a bunch of tournaments through summer. And and I think, I mean, one amateur made the cut in, in the end, which is, you know, given that there was 12 out there and um, I think the top seven on the world amateur golf rankings got exempt. So there was a lot of good amateurs playing that event to have only one make the cut was probably more a reflection of the amateur schedule just being so disrupted. Whereas, you know, the pros were playing, they had a bunch of events to lead into the event with, but I mean, I played, Okay. It's interesting. Talk about, you know, just leading into an event, like just Hmm. what you notice with your game not being as sharp. Where do you see Yeah. For me, it's like the toughest part or the area I've been struggling with lately was getting off the tee, you know, just putting it in position off the tee. That's something that, I don't know, without playing tournaments, I was really, really struggling with. I'm not sure if it's like the pressure when you when you've got an event or you've got a bunch of events on you, you get used to like just getting into your pre-shot routine and getting all your preparation before you hit it right. But 
something about not playing a bunch of events just had me, I was just hitting it everywhere off the tee, which wasn't ideal at winged foot. So um, that, that hurt me. And then just little stuff around the greens. Like, I mean, wing foot can make you look stupid around the greens. Those greens are crazy. But I mean, on, for example, on the, the final or the second round, my, my final round, um, the second round, I hit it greenside for two on the ninth. The ninth was my last hole. And so I've got like a basic 20 yard chip. I went like a little bit through the green. I've got a basic like 20 yard chip. I chip it like a little too firm and it rolls down. It's like sitting up against the collar, um, probably only 10 or 12 feet from the hole. And then I tried to putt it, but because it was up against the collar, I kind of tried to hit a little bit harder in case the putter grabbed. And then I hit it like eight feet past. And then I really want to hold the putt for par because I actually had a reasonable round going. If I think I, if I hold it for par, I think I shot 75 on the second round, which was actually like respectable in those conditions. Cause I think the scoring average was like 76 that day or 75 point something. So I'm like trying to hold this part. And then I ram it like four feet past. And then I miss the four footer and I make double when I was like green side for two on a par five. I'm just thinking like, how did that happen? Like, yeah. So it was just like stuff like that. Where like if I if I think I was if I was playing a lot more tournament golf, I feel like at least one of those shots I would have done better on and would have walked away with a five. It's almost like everything just moves a little faster. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it can get away from you really fast. Mm-hmm. I noticed that on the back nine of my first round, I played pretty good on the front nine. I think I was like even par through nine holes in the first round. And then I like made bogey on 10, actually made a really good bogey save on 10. I hit it like left of the green and then I like hit a good flop shot that caught the rough and just stayed up and then chipped it down and hold like a 20 foot of a par, of a bogey. But then I like made, I think I made double on um, 11 and, and just like got on this like little bogey train. And then before I, before I could look up and check my score, I was like seven over for the, for the back nine. Um, and then I tripled the last, which was really nice as well. After hitting a 63-yard tee shot, <laughs> uh, which ricocheted, thanks to shot link, they told me it was 63 yards, but it ricocheted off the, you know, the shoot on 18, um, ricocheted back almost onto the 17th green. It was legitimately like it was where like some lock of shame. Yeah, ah, oh, the group behind, I like was like, this is so embarrassing, and, and they even brought out like there was a guy with like a standalone camera that came out to like video me while I was there. I was like, oh please, not now. I need to get my caddy to run in front of him, like Bryson. Um. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to protect the brand. You know? Exactly, it's, it's, it's yeah. uh, brand one hundred and one for you know. Yeah, golfer. Yeah, so that was embarrassing. and I actually should have still walked away with a bogey. Like I, I could have played straight down the 11th fairway on the east course because it was like the easiest little shot down there and then like a 7-iron over the trees. But I managed to put it between the 11th east and the 18th west and then I was like behind a tree and then ended up three-putting on top of that, so made triple. So That's, that's a great way to end a round. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it, that's uh, what do you think about Wigfoot in general, like uh, as a you know championship course and setup wise? I've you know it's been a few yeah. few months. I'm uh, curious. I spoke to a few people about it. I actually think for some reason, well, I, I kind of know the reason, but the setup actually made angles sort of matter. I don't know if anyone else has mentioned this, but the fairways were narrow, but like 
you had to be on the right side of the fairway slash the right the correct rough line to actually attack greens so you didn't want to be for instance the first hole dog legs left opens up the green opens up from the right if you're in the left rough you're toast but if you're in the right rough you're fine so i was aiming like down the right side of the fairway trying to open up the angle to the pin if i hit in the rough and the fairways were so narrow like it was actually really hard to hit the fairway so you'd rather kind of just hedge toward the rough line to avoid being in the rough wrong rough line and then like the second was the opposite and the second you'd hit it try to go for the left rough line because you knew that you could open up the, the green from the left and it was kind of weird how the setup i guess because the rough was so thick but it was kind of uniform as well so like you could you could draw a bad lie but most of the time you could advance it without any spin on it like 130 yards or something like that so you'd be kind of just hedging your angles like to hit it in the just the correct rough line so you could kind of approach the grain properly so and if you pull it or push it it down yeah. the rough line you're in the middle of the fairway exactly yeah you you, you you hit a block down the second and you're in the middle of the fairway you pull it you probably still able to punch out through the trees and get it somewhere near the green um whereas sometimes like the second if you push it in the right trees it's a pretty tricky shot to kind of get something in play from there it, with those fairways like 22 yards wide and then mm. how does that compare to like augusta your the lines that you take augusta i mean are you i'm assuming you're shading towards certain areas but you're you're yeah. it's not anything like that right yeah. Well, it's a lot more of aiming toward the middle of the fairway, I guess, because, I mean, there's obviously some fairways out there where the angle kind of matters a bit more. Like maybe the third hole, you can kind of like, you're thinking about which side of the hole, depending on where the pin is. Um, but most of the time, I think you're probably aiming closer to the middle at Augusta. Just because, like, a lot of the greens are pretty open from the front. The rough's not as thick, so you're going to be able to get a little bit of spin out of the rough. Um, there's kind of – there's a little bit more opportunity to recover um, from from out-of-play areas at Augusta, whereas winged foot, it was like you really – if you're out of play in the wrong spot, you were just, just chipping out to, to somewhere where you could get it back in play. But, yeah, Augusta, you can kind of – you can get a little bit more creative with your recovery shots than at Wingfoot, I think. In terms of uh, the Masters, you know, what are there areas of your game that you've been particularly focused on leading up that you've been working on? I'd say, if, like, my if I've got a weakness, like compared to most tour pros, it's my ball striking just isn't anywhere near as sharp as like the best players in the world. I think my putting's pretty solid and my short game's decent normally, but um, where I kind of lose out is, like, I hit it long enough, but I just hit it too too erratically. So I've been working a lot more on trying to just hit it better, like a a bit of technical stuff, but then more recently I've just been hitting a lot of different shot shapes and trying to kind of get a little bit more creative with, with my shot making. I find that when I'm like in the trees and have to hit a shot that does something. I always am way more committed to hitting the shot and seem to execute a lot better when I, when I've got something specific to hit. 
Whereas like if I'm in the middle of the fairway and it's like, I'm trying to hit a dead straight shot to the middle of the green for some reason, I just hit bad golf shots from there. And I, I, can't, I can't really figure out why. So I've been more recently, I've been trying to like hit almost shapes from the middle of the fairway and trying to like work it different ways. And I've been sort of finding that I can vary my distance with shot shaping. So like if I hit a eight iron, 170 yards, um, like stock standard, like with a little draw, which is like my normal shot shape, I can hit it 175 if I try and draw it, or I can hit it 165 if I try and fade it. So I can kind of like, I've been sort of playing around with just different ways to vary how far it goes. And that kind of gets me more committed to hitting better golf shots when I'm kind of, in the middle of the fairway, which you'd think would be the easiest place to hit from. But for some reason I've been just pretty poor from, from approach play in that part. Do you think like when it's windy, I imagine you feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just, you're more engaged, your mind's more activated. Yeah. I played the Azalea amateur, um, or the Azalea. I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Played that last week and it was really windy the first two rounds. Um, and I played great the first two rounds. I think I shot 60, 68 and 70. So like I was four under through two rounds and then rounds three and four, three was still pretty windy. Um, and round four was like dead still. And I think I shot 77, 74 to finish. Like it was like, and honestly the last round was like dead still. Um, I don't know. There's something about, yeah, when you're forced to, to do something there's like almost no options on how to play a shot you know it's played one way and not any other ways my level of commitment walking into the ball and ability to execute seems to be a lot better but yeah put me in the middle of the fairway with no wind and um an easy pin and i'll find some way to screw it up that's it's interesting i yeah i when I used to play, I always felt like when it was windy, I was like, I always, mm. it was randomly, I'd play better. And it was like, yeah. you know, it, it totally, I can totally, like you space out almost. You take, yeah. you get complacent, I think, is yeah. when, when there's not stuff going on sometimes. What'd you, what'd you think of Char- a country club of Charleston? Yeah, it's awesome, that place. So much fun. The Redan, actually, it's the nuts, crazy right? Redan. Yeah, it's off its head. Um, I actually birdied the first two rounds. So I was two I, under two plays. I'm um, looking at your card. You played it two under for the week. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I actually played that all really well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sweet. I mean, I, I've actually not played that many Seth Rayner golf courses. I went to Yeaman's Hole as well when I was there last week. And so I saw that place as well, which probably is the best Seth Rayner I've seen. Um, I played Fox Chapel as well, but um, I think Yeamans takes the cake as far as I've seen. But, um, yeah, Charleston's awesome as well. Like, almost a dead flat site. Yeah. I think I think, um, I think those sort of, like, more bolder kind of Rainer-style golf courses, I've not seen a lot, but, like, they seem to work really well when the architect had almost nothing to work with. Like, you can create something really interesting out of out of almost – nothing like there's there's not many natural features there to work with well it just shows like how you can make something really interesting and carry Mm. interest with just a really good green you know yeah i've always thought as well like people talk about minimalism in golf course design 
And I think in a way, like that sort of architecture where it's literally just cut and fill and leaving everything really kind of sharp and not really massaging it out into like tying it in. That's actually probably what minimalism should be called because that's like they're, they're, they're kind of just doing it and like leaving everything as it was. Like they're not actually even bothering to like try and tie it in. It's kind of like, it's, it's like, I'd call like the other type of golf course architecture, like naturalism or something like that. Yeah. But I feel like that's sort of minimalism when you're, when you're kind of just leaving it, like all that early golden age stuff as well, like um, Walter Travis and that sort of stuff, that's kind of minimalism in my mind because it's it literally is just like moving it as minimal as possible the dirt i always say i I would say rayner banks Langford moreau those guys were like the golden age maximalists are today's minimalists you know yeah i always say it's like because their construction sites probably look like a mike devries or a tom doak or you know bill court construction site these days where there's some heavy machinery out there but and the, in the grand scheme of things, they're doing very little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like they're doing, in a way, less because it, but because it looks so abrupt and maximal. Like it, it just, it just, it's just a different look. I think. Yeah, and with those those greens, you know, propped up, and mm. it, it's like when they put pins and corners out there, you got to mm. be so good. It, it's it, yeah because you can set that those especially that golf course up. You could set it up for the Azalea Am for guys to oh. go out and shoot nothing, you know. Yeah, but yeah. then if you put the pins in the corners, all of a sudden you got to be really golfing your ball. Yeah, it's kind of like the sand belt. There's you can cut the pins so close to the edges of the greens because. Obviously, the sand belt, you've got no fringes between, like, greens and bunkers, whereas at, like, Country Club of Charleston or other rain, of courses, where the greens are really mowed out so close to those, like, abrupt mm-hmm. edges, you can pin it, like, I think they had a pin on the second round on the seventh hole, and it was in the left part of the green, and it was, would have been, like, a pace and a half off the left edge. So it was the coolest shot because everyone sort of bailed out left it's sort of like a short par four everyone would bail out left and they'd hit it in this rough and they they couldn't get it within 40 feet of the hole <laughs> whereas if you kind of took the correct line and try to it's, i think it's a cape template yeah um try and go down the right a lot along the the hazard line and then you can actually open up the pin so that was that was cool to see that but um yeah that's kind of the only way they can defend a golf course from players like at my level is just like make them quick and make the make them firm and put the pins in corners and they can they can actually legitimately defend it though from par because it's they can be so creative with those pins yeah i i thought one of the cool things too with those two courses like yamans and and country club charleston you see like the different like yamans is a little bit more understated because it's got better topography than the you know country club of charleston mm. it's got yeah it's so it's such bold features because like we yeah. talked about just nothing really going on on the yeah. site and it's interesting with rainer i you know i notice it here in chicago it's very similar with shore mm. acres he's got this intricate uh ravine system that runs through mm. it and there it has much more tame greens than at chicago mm. golf where it's it's got it's a nice site but it's not you know anything yeah. crazy and there, there it has greens that are similar to country club of charleston yeah yeah i definitely think he knew where to like tone it down 
Um, I'd like to see fishes. I haven't been up to Fishers Island, but um, I don't know if you've been yeah. there, but that'd be fun to see. Yeah. It's a cool, it's, it's like, cool. Because wasn't Rainer supposed to build Cypress Point as well? Was that like the original? Yeah, that was, the, so they always say he routed, he did a routing for Cypress Point and then mm-hmm. obviously died. He was building uh, MPCC too, um, okay. the Dunes okay. course there. Yeah. And I think Robert, Robert Hunter, I think actually finished that plan. So yeah. it was, but then they obviously redid that. Fishers is neat. I, I think, I think Fishers like from like, Fishers is great. And it's an idyllic place to play golf. I mean, anywhere you're playing on an ocean is how could you ever complain? Um, but you know, of, of the like top flight rainers, it definitely has like the, the most weak holes, but it also has some of the most spectacular holes. So it's like, how do you weigh it? But like, you know, probably has four of the weakest holes of, you know, any of the, if you put Yemen, uh, Shore Acres, Chicago Golf, and and uh, Yale in a bucket. Yeah. Those, you know, Fishers has the most weak holes of any of them. But yeah. it also is set on, you know, you, Fishers. The experience is unbelievable. You know, you take the ferry yeah. out there, and you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a great golf course. And this stretch of holes from three through twelve is absolutely astounding, and as good of yeah. a stretch as anywhere in golf. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he would have done at like a site like Cypress Point, where you know Mackenzie probably the ultimate kind of working with nature, like not trying to overpower the site in a way. Like he was probably the perfect match for that site, but to see what someone like Rainer would have done there would be really interesting. I'm interested. To- if you notice anything, being somebody from Melbourne Sandbelt, Mackenzie's work in Melbourne versus mm-hmm. uh, Mackenzie's work at like Crystal Downs, where he worked with Maxwell or even uh, Augusta. Yeah. If you yeah. notice any difference from stylistic or anything, because obviously, like the associates were such, you know, uh, yeah. the Morecams in in Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, Roll Melbourne, the greens. Compared to like, I haven't actually seen that much Mackenzie outside of Australia. Like I've seen, obviously, Crystal Downs. I haven't seen Cypress Point. So I've really got only a small sample size of um, Mackenzie course, like Augusta I have seen. But it seems like um, Mackenzie would put pretty bold internal contour into his greens. Like that does seem like a pretty key Mackenzie feature. And if I was going to talk about the Melbourne Sandbelt, I would say that's probably not a feature you really see. Um, particularly like the only course he really built was Royal Melbourne West. He, he did the routing there. The other courses he didn't do the routing. So the routing at Royal Melbourne West is awesome. Like it doesn't get much better. But if you look at the, he only built, I think he was only on site for the construction of the fifth green on the West course, which is that iconic three that everyone's seen photos of. Um, that was the only green he actually saw completed. So that's fine. That that green's kind of got like a pretty severe tilt in it. It doesn't have a lot of internal contour. Have that much internal contouring in the greens. It's generally like it'll be like a. Th- 3% slope kind of throughout the green and then there'll be like a bunch of like subtle rolls, but it's not really 
like you'd see at Augusta, like on the fifth green where it's got like a massive abrupt um, shape in it, which I assume is original. I, I don't know enough about the history there to, to know, it, but like stuff like that, it, mm-hmm. I haven't seen or like McKenzie's, like the boomerang green at Crystal Downs, like nothing along those lines. Um, it's definitely like the green complexes don't have like heaps of internal contour, I wouldn't say, or any like super abrupt contours. It's more just like subtle slopes, which I guess Mackenzie only spent, I think it was like five or six weeks actually in Melbourne. Um, and he was consulting a lot of golf courses. Like it, obviously Royal Melbourne was, he was brought down by the Royal Melbourne Golf Club committee, but he also like subsidized the trip with um Kingston with Heath. sort of like working for other golf yeah. courses. So he, he went and saw Royal Adelaide and then went and saw, you know, Kingston Heath and Victoria and Metro. So like he wasn't I don't think he actually had that much that much influence on the construction of the golf course. I mean he was gone well before it was finished. So it's kind of I'd say it's a a lot more Morecambe and Russell around the greens. So when do you get down to Augusta? Are you getting down there uh this weekend or you know and then what what's the plan are you staying in the crow's nest what's your what's your game plan yeah so i'm heading to augusta on sunday um could have got there saturday i think saturday's the earliest you can get there i could have like done like a pre-visit but saturday's the earliest day for like the tournament where you get covid tested and that but sunday was sort of early enough so i'll get tested on sunday um, I might walk it Sunday afternoon cause I got to wait for my test to come back. And there's a couple things I'd probably want to see as well. Like the yardage books almost don't have any information on them that you get for the tournament. So I've got one, I got it when I went there last time, but because I did a little visit in March, but, um, they don't have any like up down measurements. Um, the greens are pretty blank. Um, what else? It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's all you need to really go and see it a little bit more to, to fill that stuff out. So I'll probably go down with a slope range finder and just put in all the slope measurements with my caddy and walk that on Sunday afternoon. And then, yeah, start sort of practice rounds on Monday. Um, Do you have those? I listened to a podcast actually not yet, but I, I listened to a podcast with, um, Mark Leishman's caddy. I think it's Matty. I don't know his surname, but he did one with no laying up. Um, the other day. So that was cool. I might, I, I've got a contact with uh, Leishman. So I might try and set up something with him because they seem like pretty good guys to learn from. And I've still got Adam Scott's details from the U S open. I had a practice round with him. So I'd like to maybe line up those two together, maybe on one of the days, which would be pretty cool. And all Aussie um, pairing. Yeah. Yeah, and all Aussie. Well, that's what I got at the US Open for the actual stroke play. I don't know if you saw that, but I played with Lucas Herbert and uh, Matt Jones. So that was kind of funny. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting um, who I actually get paired up with for the tournament because I know you you always get a past winner. It would be cool to get someone like Adam Scott, given, you know, he's the first and only Aussie winner of the Masters. But I'm not sure I could quite get that sort of marquee kind of group. But we'll we'll see. see. You might get him, you know? Yeah, that would yeah, make cool. sense, right? Yeah, well, you're, was, you're the first you know, Aussie mid-am winner, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's a natural cool tie. 
Master, yeah. Masters loves their like stories like that. Yeah, yeah. So that'd, that'd be cool. Um, it was actually really comforting playing with two Aussies for the US Open because not that I, I knew Lucas pretty well because he's from Victoria where I'm from and um, I've known him for like five or six years. But um, I didn't know Matt, but, you know, he's another Aussie and we could talk about cricket and all these Aussie things that are mysterious to Americans. So The, uh, the comfy pairing. You know, the, the it was it was very comfy, yeah, and it was good. I think Golf Australia liked it as well because for them, you know, golf in Australia they could just sort of play that as a almost like a feature group if they wanted to. So yeah, and the journalists, uh, the the journalists got you know yeah. they didn't have to follow a bunch of groups; they just got to go out and you know follow exactly. one group. Uh, what's his name? Uh, ben Pri- or Priest, uh, Evan Priest. Evan Priest, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Ben uh, yeah. Ben from the PGA ben Tour, uh, yeah. 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 So no, it was, it was, it was cool. So hopefully I get a cool pairing. Um, I'm actually, I saw, uh, this is funny today, actually at Old Town when I played there, I caught up with um, DC, Punchbowl Pack DC. <laughs> he's, I think he's a member there and he was playing with a couple of friends of mine and um, I might oh, he head was out playing, and have He was a playing with uh, Alex Fitzpatrick today, right? Alex Fitzpatrick. And so two friends of mine. So one of Alex's friends from England um, Barclay Brown played the Azalea uh-huh. and um, another friend of mine, Henry Shimp, who also played the Azalea, who's at Stanford. So I caught up with them, but I didn't play with them. But um, I met DC and we talked about the tree farm. So I'm staying in Aiken. So oh, I are? might actually, he said he's going to be out there. and Yeah, um, staying in Aiken. So I'll probably head out to the tree farm that week as well at some point. Are I know you, Zach's there one of the days. Are you checking out uh, Palmetto at all while you're down there? I played Palmetto. I actually played it last year. Um, I loved it. Actually, like I played um, Mid Pines. Oh, sorry, I played Pine Needles, but I thought Mid Pines had a lot of Palmetto, like small scale, like just like really cool, like fine features, small greens. And so I played Palmetto last year and and loved it. Um, Actually, no, it was this year. It was um, because of COVID, I got kicked off the grounds at Augusta. They kind of closed up the course. For, um, for COVID, and then I managed to get around in at um, Palmetto after that. So, um, man, you, yeah, you we, kicked uh, off the course at, uh, at Agassi. You know, you, not you, really, not really kicked off, but like we left yeah. the grounds. <laughs> we left the grounds. We had another round booked for the Tuesday, and because of COVID, they they couldn't they they closed it for basically at that point for the rest of the the. the uh, the summer spring, i guess yeah. or the rest of the spring um so we didn't get kicked off but we left and then they were like oh unfortunately like you won't be able to play tuesday but ended up playing palmetto which was awesome so yeah i love palmetto that's a cool place i might i might head out there again i played aiken golf club as well which was really cool too i know you love that that place um I, they've done it. Awesome. I don't think there's a town in america like a non-major city mm that's got a better private public golf combo than Aiken, Georgia. Like there's no town that's got a better private no, and public. Small, smallest town. No, no. I don't know American geography well enough, but it'd be hard to beat. Wouldn't it? I think it, you could say George, I think it, I'm not sure if they're in the same town, but I think George Wright and the country club are like right next to each other. That would be one uh, in, in Brookline or Massachusetts yeah. area. I might be yeah, wrong, yeah, yeah. but yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. I was up there a 
we briefly spoke about that. I was up there in uh, a couple of weeks ago when it went, had a pretty good trip through Boston. So you're living everybody's dream. Yeah, I didn't get to play Brookline because that would. It was actually Gil Hans was there when I was there, but I missed him by like a few hours. But I chatted to um, one of his sort of always one of his associates, uh, who's actually from from Melbourne. Um, ben. Yeah, Ben. So Ben and I chatted. He took me around the course, and then um, and then sort of showed me what they were doing. So that was that was cool. So shout out to Ben Hillard. Um, so that was that was fun, and then I went and. Charles River down the road, which is really cool. Played there. It's a Donald Ross that um, got a really a few really cool green complexes and um, Catanzit and um, Myopia, which is like the coolest place in the world, and Essex County, which was probably my favourite um, out of the whole trip. So yeah, I've done I've done I've done well this this trip in the US. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually kind of over. stuck here. Are you stuck? You can't get back now. Well, I can't, I can get back, but it'll cost me like 10 grand to get home. Like it, it'll cost me a lot of money to get home. Basically, Australia has limited the number of arrivals into the country to a, to a number that they can manage so that like COVID doesn't get out. So they limited it to 4,000 people per week. So that means that all the airlines coming into the country are limited to like 40 passengers per plane. And so what they're all doing is they're trying to fill their um, planes with business and first-class passengers. And if there's any economy, they'll still like charge pretty high for. Um, so I had three economy tickets booked back home. I had one for November 17 that got cancelled like about a month or two ago. Then I had another one booked for December 1 because that was the nearest I could get, which got cancelled maybe two weeks ago. And then I then rebooked on an American Airlines for December 2 that got cancelled like maybe a few days ago, maybe three or four days ago. So I've had three tickets all booked on economy for like reasonable prices, like $1,000 one way, which is like pretty typical for an economy ticket that have all been cancelled. And now I'm looking at tickets because it's before Christmas yeah. and I'm now, now I'm booking late because all the other ones have been cancelled. Um, I thought I had a ticket, now I don't. So, because now I'm like booking late, it, all the prices are just jacked up. So they're like five grand to go economy one way, or it's like ten grand for business, or like. So basically, I'm like, screw it. I'll probably end up waiting until after um, after Christmas to get home. Basically, like I could try and get home to see my family for Christmas, but because my family are in Western Australia they've completely closed the border. So I'd have to fly to Perth, which is like a really tricky place to get to. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just, it's not going to work out that I'll see my family. So it kind of doesn't make sense for me to try and get back before Christmas because the prices are so high, unless someone at Augusta manages to private jet me or something. <laughs> that would be the only way I'm, I'm getting home. <laughs> I might have to put my feelers out during the tournament, but um, you gotta, you gotta cozy up with uh, Adam Scott. Yeah, well, I spoke to him though. He's not going back home for Christmas either, because of you got to qu- quarantine, quarantine in a hotel for two weeks as well, for, and 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 you got to pay for it. It's like three grand, so Jeez. like none of the Aussies are going to go home for Christmas. It's You're just stuck. it's all a shambles. So yeah, I don't know what. I mean, I might 
I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might try and find like another work experience project to <laughs> help somebody, the somebody, somebody give uh, Lucas a job. <laughs> yeah, give me a job. If, uh, you know, someone who's got a golf project happening that needs a guy that has shovel experience <laughs> to edge bunkers that also um, play the Masters, just let me know. <laughs> Yeah, we need the we need the fried egg paid internship program to get rolling. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> Got to figure um, something out. But I, maybe yeah. somebody will have some ideas. I'm sure they'll 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 find yeah, a way to get a, to, a get a hold of you. Yeah, yeah. I need to somehow yeah fill my time before I can head home. So, but yeah. I've I've been playing a lot of good golf, so maybe there's more good golf on the cards. Well, you know, if you if you play really well next week, that that probably would take care of a lot of stuff. That does, yeah. If I <laughs> so, play well, <laughs> if I play well, I could probably uh, probably turn pro and pay for my way. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm thinking. So just yeah. play well next week. You got extra incentive. Exactly, that's the plan. All right. Well, good luck. Thanks for the thanks for the time. I think everybody that listened to this is very jealous of you, even though you're not going to be able to get home for the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that that's probably a price that most people would pay for uh, for your last uh, six months yeah. or so. So it's a decent trade off. Yeah. yeah, I've played some. I think most of your uh, golf uh, sicko kind of listeners would be um, happily trade christmas with their family for the schedule i've had so um they wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't admit it to their wives or their kids <laughs> but <laughs> yeah no I, I i'm in a good position overall yeah so uh we'll hopefully uh we'll hopefully see you playing all weekend long and then uh and people have something somebody else to root for but then uh yeah. we'll touch base if you need any recommendations let me know okay sounds good All right, Sandy.